0: why does your brain fuel on either glucose or ketones which are derived from fat why do the brains of babies need ketones for rapid building of their neural network can eating fats such as c8 c10 help prevent or reverse brain engine Um, do you have to go ketogenic to get the benefits How can a ketogenic diet or supplements help mental health and mental illness? To answer these questions and other questions and explore the whole role ketones and fat play in your brain, um, my podcast guest this month is the leading world expert, Professor Stephen Kinane, who heads the brain research team at Sherbrooke University in Sherbrooke, Quebec, Canada. Professor Stephen Kinane also holds the clinical research chair in keto Therapeutics. So, Stephen, fantastic to have you on my podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. So this is right, isn't it? Brain cells can either derive their energy from glucose or ketones. Yes, that's true. And early in life, and I don't know whether we know anything about fetal development, infancy, and so on, uh, is a child's brain using more glucose, using more ketones? What do we know about the original development of the brain in relation to fuel?
1: So there are very few studies, but there are a couple. Um, and uh, so the the brain um, in the adult, just as a reference, is running about ninety five percent on glucose. But that that's uh, always contingent on what we're what we're eating. But let's say that the typical Western diet, if that exists. Um, is our baseline, then, then the brain of the adult is running almost almost exclusively on glucose, not quite. But the infant is in a different situation. So if you take 95% as the reference value for, for the glucose utilization by the adult brain, in the infant at birth, it's around 60% for glucose, 40% for ketones. So ketones are much more important uh, at birth. And in the first few months, probably, we don't know exactly how long, but it it, it declines, obviously, towards the ketone contribution declines as we move towards adolescence and and adulthood. But there are two studies that have been done that show that they are absolutely essential, uh, probably because the body is not able to uh, obtain enough glucose or make enough glucose at birth. uh, And ketones have that essential role at that in, in that period of life
0: and is this i mean i have to ask of course where the ketones are being generated from uh, but also how much energy in a, in a newborn baby is actually going towards brain development and is there an advantage in having ketones for brain development as opposed to glucose or really is it about just maximizing supply of both so
1: um uh, two or three questions in there, but uh, one of them is—is is, um, I think the amount of energy going to to the brain um, uh, in the newborn—it's uh, around seventy percent. Seventy percent of the whole infant energy requirements are going to the brain. So that's a obviously it's uh, it's about two thirds to, to three quarters. Um, the brain is is very big in the infant compared to the rest of the body, but still that is is a huge uh, demand. Uh, on the infant's uh, energy resources, uh, all going to fuel an organ which is is really not very functional at, at birth. Um, what was what were the other parts of that question again? Patrick? Well, I mean it,
0: it's it's really interesting because you know I remember with my uh, conversations with Professor Michael Crawford that you know hu- humanity, I mean that is the development of Homo sapiens, is so focused on brain development as opposed to body development there are plenty of animals who develop very large bodies but very small brains so yeah. you know, here we're hearing that you know 70 percent of all energy is going to power the brain and um you know that's amazing and you've already said that about 40 percent of that's from ketones so where's the baby getting the ketones from and why um do we suppose that there is this you know this sort of big focus in our evolution on ketone supply in the early in in these early months of life
1: so the ketones um up until birth um they they will be supplied primarily by the fat um, that the baby is accumulating the fetus is accumulating before birth after birth the fat will still be contributing some and this is is a little conjectural because I, i don't think it's been been extensively studied but if if the infant is um is breastfed. There are medium chain triglycerides in the breast milk fats that are, are ketogenic. So postnatally, uh, and 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 if breastfed, part of the ketones are coming from fat stores that the baby has accumulated, and part are coming from the medium chain triglycerides in the milk. Prenatally, they're all coming from the fat stores, and perhaps from I don't think the mother is transferring medium chain triglycerides uh, before birth to to the fetus before birth. Um, And and that's the unique thing about humans, apart from the big brain, is that our babies, if they're born at term, if they're born healthy, they've got five to six hundred grams of fat, which is accumulated in the third trimester of pregnancy. So there's a big part of infant of, of fetal development towards the end of pregnancy that involves deposition of fat on the fetus. And part of that, perhaps a lot of that, is being used to fuel the brain's energy requirements once the the fetus, once the baby's born.
0: And I've heard outrageous uh, numbers of uh, connections that are being made uh, uh, between neurons. Uh, and you, know, you might sort of g- give us a few facts there, but also, are ketones better? Uh, for building brains, making connections?
1: Well, that's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what those numbers are about the, the, the number of connections and so on. Um, I, 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 even those that claim to know, perhaps they're speculating to some extent. They, these are estimates. Um, what's clear is that that those connections are forming rapidly. They're also being pruned rapidly because for effective communication, there's a whole bunch of of dendrites that are reaching out to other neurons, but a lot of them are going to be cut back so that the circuits become more efficient. Otherwise, it would be mass confusion. Uh, so uh, the growth and the pruning are, are both is- essential processes, but um, and and they both contribute to normal brain development. Uh, I, I have no idea exactly uh, what the the rate of these processes is, or or but it is clearly uh, an important part of, of healthy brain development. The role that ketones play in that is also speculative uh, as far as, as I know. The ketones are supplying. Uh, what's interesting is that ketones are, are doing two jobs in the brain. So they're helping. We talked about the energy requirement already and their contribution, probably 40% at birth, declining somewhat um, as, as you go through infancy. But they're also a, a key contributor to the architecture to the wiring of the brain and that's successful brain development is successful wiring in the sense that the message has got to go down the copper wire between two cells as as it were figuratively speaking but it the insulation has to develop so that that signal gets to the destination we want it to initially there's very little what's called myelination insulation on those nerves uh, at birth. Very few are, are hardwired at, at birth. So th- that myelin has to develop. And myelin contains uh, various proteins, but it also contains lipids, that structure to make that insulation of the electric signal along the, the, the axon. Um, is, is also got a, a, an important lipid component. And ketones are a major contributor to the lipid structure of the myelin. So in that sense, it's clear that they're important for brain development, for successful brain development, apart from being a fuel to make sure the message is generated in one cell and is transmitted elsewhere. So they do have what's called an anabolic role, a building role, as well as a catabolic role, which means like a fuel. And
0: normally, I mean, there are two areas I'd like to explore. One is you know there is a sort of concept. I even wrote a book called the hybrid diet, and the analogy is a car that can either run on electric, you know, or petrol, either ketones or glucose. But it seems very clear that both are happening. So you know, you said with the baby it's forty percent ketones, sixty percent glucose. With your average, uh, probably not very healthy adult, it might be ninety percent glucose. So. Yeah, what happens, for example, in an adult? And I know you've done uh, your research has been, you know, on older adults with cognitive problems more so. But if you just supply the fuel that makes ketones, which I really want to talk about, um, to someone who was already eating, if you like, sufficient carbohydrate, can you generate more brain energy? Can you get any benefit in that way?
1: I'm not sure. I understand the. the- Question, Patrick, are you talking about modifying the diet so as to,
0: no, go ahead. It's sort of an either or. I mean, if we sort of take the first, uh, you know, part of this is where do we make ketones from in our diet? Um, You mentioned the medium chain triglycerides that occur in in the breast milk. Um, But where do we make ketones from in our diet?
1: Okay, so uh, there are so the, the in the infant the infant's in a special situation because um, unless you take a supplement of medium chain triglycerides as, as an adult, um, there uh, we, we basically don't have medium chain triglycerides in our food supply uh, unless you take such a supplement. So the infant is special because it's getting medium chain triglycerides as part of its diet, uh, as it were, from the breast milk. Um, medium chain triglycerides are not the only type of fat. You do need fat to make ketones fatty acids, Uh, you can make ketones from long chain fatty acids, and you can make them from medium chain fatty acids. So long chain are uh, 14, the definition varies a bit, but 14 or 16 carbons and longer. Medium chain are six carbons to 14 uh, carbons. And short chain fatty acids, which are also produced in the body, uh, in the gut, for instance, by the microbiome, A short chain are one, two, three, four, five carbons long. All of them can produce ketones under the right circumstances. The most ketogenic fatty acids are, in fact, as far as we know, is is butyric acid, which is a four-carbon fatty acid. It's not in our food supply, but it's produced by our microbiome in the gut uh, when we digest fiber. So short-chain fatty acids become an important source of ketones, perhaps just for the gut, but maybe they can circulate as well. Then there's the medium chain, which as I said are not in our food supply unless we intentionally take a supplement of them. Uh, And there are the long chains. So uh, if you and I as adults want to produce ketones and we're not taking um, medium chain triglyceride, we need to reduce carbohydrate intake. And we need to do that because insulin controls whether fatty acids are going to be burned or whether glucose is going to be burned. And you need to burn the fatty acid, which is a long chain of, as I said, of 16, or usually 16, 18 carbons, like in our vegetable oils. Insulin will control whether it is the fatty acid that's being burned. Unless you burn the fatty acid, you you can't make ketones. So insulin is really the deciding hormone that, that controls that process. Um, And so if you're going to make it uh, on our typical diet without MCT, you have to reduce insulin. And to do that, you have to reduce carbohydrate. And then you and I can generate ketones gradually and can generate a fair amount of ketones. The brain can run uh, practically 80% of its fuel can be uh, ketones in adults who are on a ketogenic diet. So extremely low carbohydrate intake.
0: So um, olive oil, for example, that's a long chain fatty acid, isn't it? Yeah. And something like coconut oil, uh, palm oil, um, that contains a fair amount of medium chain triglycerides. Is that correct?
1: Um, I'm not sure about palm oil, but coconut oil contains six to eight percent medium chain triglyceride. Uh, you need to be careful because the medium chain triglyceride, as I said, was, was six to 14 carbons. Mm-hmm. Six carbon is definitely ketogenic, eight. Carbons that it's usually in pairs. So we, we basically don't have the odd numbers uh, uh amongst fatty acids. So it's six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. Six is ketogenic, eight is very ketogenic, ten is less ketogenic, and C twelve and C14 fatty acids are, are essentially not ketogenic, and they are the predominant, they're still called MCT. So it's a bit confusing for people. All MCT are not necessarily ketogenic. You have to have the six, eight, and tens. And coconut oil is predominantly um, uh, C8, uh, C12 and C14 for the, for the MCT. So you can call coconut oil an MCT, but it's mostly not ketogenic. Yes, I think seven percent of it is C8 or something. Right, like uh, something on that order. So it, it's it's. I'm not saying it's not beneficial. I'm not saying the C12 and C14 could not be uh, important for the brain but they're not they're not ketogenic fatty acids so there's a little bit of confusion it's pretty hard to that's that's just the one needs to know a little bit more and when one goes to a store a health food shop to buy mct for instance or on the on the internet uh, it one has to try and do a, a background check to to make sure that one's getting an mct with c8 and c10 otherwise it won't be ketogenic
0: so i know in your research you've used Um, C8 and C10 oil. I I take a tablespoon of C8 oil every day. I think the important point you're making is that insulin is like the switch. So are you saying that basically, if a person is consuming a fair amount of carbohydrates, and especially refined carbohydrates, sugar, and so on, um, and then chose to have, for example, a tablespoon or two of C8 oil, they may well not use it, Uh, Because you've got to get that insulin switch turned off to, you know, to to transfer to the ketone production.
1: Well, actually, that that's not quite correct, Patrick, and I'll tell you why. Um, um, The medium chain fatty acids, the C8 and C10 that are ketogenic, uh, do not depend on insulin are not affected by insulin um, to, to be um, metabolized, to be burned by the liver and then produce ketones. It's the long chain fatty acids that are affected. Wow. So you can be on a, a sort of a high carbohydrate intake, uh, take your MCT oil, and you will still produce ketones. If, if however, you're not on the MCT, there's no way the olive oil that, that you Taking a, when you know when it, as as a as a vegetable as a as a salad dressing, for instance, it's not going to be ketogenic because the insulin is going to be blocking the utilization of the long chain fatty acids in olive oil, and and will not permit production of ketones. So MCT bypass the insulin blockade, and we've actually looked at this in in pre diabetic women, women that are. Um, Sort of on their way to diabetes, uh, and we can see as close to a close to normal ketogenic response from MCT despite the presence of elevated insulin, mildly elevated insulin, but but still elevated. So uh, the MCT do have a sort of a backdoor entrance to producing ketones that uh, that does work.
0: And when you say MCT here, are you talking about C8, C10? Or are you talking yes, about- specifically oh
1: at C8 and C10. Okay, we call it ketogenic MCT uh, as a part as a a distinction of sort of general MCT.
0: So in your uh, studies, which I'd like to get onto with uh, people with cognitive decline, uh, do you change their diet as such or do you leave the diet the same and just give the ketogenic C8, C10 MCT?
1: No, we did not change their diet, at least not intentionally. Um, We had a fairly rigorous protocol of imaging and cognitive tests and blood samples and and so on. So we said, you know, they're simply not gonna comply if we say you've gotta reduce your pasta and bread and rice and potato intake as well, your carbohydrate intake. So we said, we know that the ketogenic effect is gonna a on a typical Western diet. Let's just try and keep this as simple as possible. So we did not intentionally reduce their carbohydrate intake. Um, that could be done and it would possibly be more effective. Um, but uh, in the end, you've, what you want is to have people that are able to complete a six month study, which is a fairly long period of time. Um, and so we tried to minimize um, the, 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 the demands on their uh, energy and, and, and their ability
0: to comply. And what happened to their brain's production of energy?
1: Well, it, it's, it's the brain's utilization, which we were able to measure. So the MCT are definitely producing, producing ketones. Uh, remember that MCT are absorbed fairly quickly, so that if you take a teaspoon, as you do, uh, of MCT at, at time zero, uh, within three hours uh, of taking the, the MCT, the ketones will have gone up, but they'll be back down to baseline. So uh, it's a transient effect, uh, and that's the disadvantage of trying to produce your ketones from MCT or from a a ketogenic uh, salt or a ketone ester that could be bought on the internet. It's a short-term effect, and you need to keep the supplement, keep taking the supplement twice a day, three times a day, four times a day even, in order to maintain the ketone levels. So that's a, a, a challenge, but the brain will use them when they're available. The brain likes ketones. In fact, our studies and and some other studies uh, sh- show that in preference, uh, in, in if the, the, when the brain has sees both ketones and glucose, it will use ketones in preference to glucose. And it will, if it has lots of ketones available, it will suppress glucose uptake because it's got enough energy coming in already. So um, ketones are important to the brain, and it likes them.
0: And in your studies, uh, did people end up producing more energy from glucose ketones? What happened to the to the um, utilization of the ketones and the glucose? Did glucose go down when you supplied ketones?
1: No. It, so glucose, if if you're um, a healthy adult uh, with normal brain glucose uptake then when you uh, take a ketogenic supplement or a ketogenic diet, it will suppress brain glucose uptake. That's in healthy normals. We were looking at people at the beginning of Alzheimer's disease. They have about a 10% deficit in brain glucose uptake. So when we gave the MCT supplement, we saw an increase in ketone utilization by the brain. It did not push the glucose uh, uptake down because uh, we think it's because there was already a deficit so it's not like as if the glucose was supplying all the brain's energy needs there was what we call a brain energy gap we think of the uh, what they say on on the on the london subway which is mind the gap and i've i've got a couple of stickers of the mind the gap uh, uh, around the office because that's exactly what we're trying to do there's a, a gap in glucose uptake as you get older so the ketones help fill that gap um we haven't been able to give enough mct to overfill the gap and push glucose intake uh, uptake down. So that's not easy to do because MCT tend to have um, caused some stomach upset if you take a high dose. So at the moment, we've partially been, been able to partially correct the brain energy deficit in, at the beginning of Alzheimer's disease, the problem with glucose, but we haven't been able to completely correct it with the MCT and ketones.
0: And I think the um, energy from ketones went up by over 200%. Is that correct?
1: Uh, the amount that goes in, yes, it went up by over 200%, uh, so doubled. Um, it's still There was still a, a gap, an energy gap in the brain, but we had partially corrected that. We didn't know when we started how much uh, of that gap we were going. We knew the gap existed, but we didn't know how much we were going to correct that gap when we started with a 30-gram dose, which is like a large tablespoonful day um, so we were successful in partially um, correcting that gap but not completely
0: and uh, clinically or experientially how would somebody um you know what, what was how would someone feel cognitively with that energy gap and what happened when you helped partially fill it by providing these mct oils
1: so some people were convinced they were uh, on the mct and were feeling better uh, but they weren't they were actually they were double blind so they didn't know and and we the team didn't know uh, which they were on we had a sort of a, an independent control of of which supplement placebo or active that they were on and some some people on the placebo had the impression they were doing much better so that that's an important reason for having a placebo uh, just taking care of people and and being interested in their lives and taking blood samples and and then participating uh, in a research project helps them feel like things are going better. Um, so experientially, as you say, there 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 was no difference. Uh, and this is what's called mild cognitive impairment. it's It's the very beginning of Alzheimer's disease. People do not have significant memory loss. their Their activities of daily living are are essentially normal. So uh, we did not expect a dramatic effect and we didn't see a dramatic effect, but there was nevertheless a benefit in all the five major cognitive domains. So their, their episodic memory went up, their problem solving went up, their language uh, went up, their attention and the, the speed at which they process information. So those are the five main cognitive domains and they all improved statistically. Uh, and directly in relationship to the, uh, the uh, entry of ketones into the brain, because we were doing the brain ketone imaging on them uh, the same day as they were doing the cognitive tests, So we could see that that relationship existed. And ideally, we would have raised ketones a bit more. We would have corrected the energy gap a bit more. And we possibly, possibly would have had a better effect on cognition. But that's, that's what we've learned. We, we didn't know all that when we started.
0: So when you say increasing the ketone energy a bit more, if you were to uh, you know, redo that experiment or run another experiment, would you increase the, the amount of MCT and, and would you go for the C8 or the C10? How would you, what do you think might be the optimal for somebody in this brain energy gap, mild cognitive impairment zone?
1: Right. Well, we didn't know that C8 was more ketogenic than C10 when we started. You'd say, well, why didn't you check that first? <laughs> it's it's something we never even anticipated. Uh, so we learned that on the way. And so, yes, we would use C8 um, instead of C8 and C10 because C8 uh, gram for gram is is more ketogenic than C10 by probably 15 to 20%. Uh, we would probably use C6 if we could get it. Uh, C4 is even better. But C4 is, is an absolutely revolting smell, butyric acid. So it's it's really a non-starter. Um, and we we would, so the MCT, uh, 30 grams a day. Why, why only give 30 grams? Well, as I mentioned, uh, it does cause stomach upset, can cause diarrhea. Um, so we tried to use the dose. We used the dose that we thought would probably be the best tolerated. Because if you give people diarrhea, they're gonna drop out of the study. So that's a non-starter. So 30 grams was what we sort of estimated, that, and that's where we started. But in retrospect, we can see that if we could give twice as much, we probably would come much closer to um, to correcting the brain energy gap. So 60 to 70 grams of MCT per day. There are very few people that can take that dose. Uh, you could divide it up into into 7, 10 gram doses over during the day, but that's way too many. You know, very. You have to be extremely disciplined to do anything. Sort of seven times a day for a research project, whatever it is. Uh, so you've got to try and keep it as simple as possible. And the obvious way around it is to give a ketogenic supplement that is more ketogenic than MCT. Mm-hmm. Uh, those didn't exist at the time. You know, I started this project in two in twenty fifteen there were no ketogenic salts and no ketone esters on the market at the time. So there wasn't, there wasn't an option. It was MCT or ketogenic diet. And I thought ethically we had a better chance of, of, of completing the project and getting it approved to start with with the MCT. So things have changed since 2000, uh, 2015. Um, and there are keto, ketogenic salts that are gram for gram more ketogenic than MCT. They also contain sodium and magnesium. Sodium might be affecting blood pressure. Magnesium is also uh, has a tendency to uh, increase gut motility, as they say, uh, so uh, a tendency towards diarrhea. So you don't get a free pass with the ketone salts, um, and they have been contaminated by an inactive form of, of the ketone beta-hydroxybutyrate until recently. So that wasn't uh, a, a choice at the time, and it's 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 possibly a choice. Now, the ketone esters are extremely bitter and extremely expensive. So and no placebo. Yeah. And these no placebo. Be... And, and...
0: Wow. Sorry. Uh, this is uh, Professor Kieran Clark uh, here in the UK he was doing a lot of work on ketone esters. Yes, Uh, I've uh, I've met
1: Karen and and I admire the work she's been doing. But if if she's, you know, the issue with the ketone ester is that if you're going to do cognitive studies, as I mentioned, we had people thinking they were on Mm -hmm. um, the active form. Uh, So the subjective impression by the the person and by the team is a critical factor uh, that you have to uh, correct for, you have to avoid. And the only way to do it is to have a placebo treatment. And to my knowledge, the ketone esters still do not have a a placebo so it's it's very hard to do this type of research without a placebo
0: and i think they're being used a lot by um uh, extreme athletes as well uh cyclists for example
1: yeah yeah,
0: tour de france and
1: and so on
0: and i, I doubt we'll ever know exactly who's
1: on what because it's it's obviously pro- not proprietary but You don't want to share with the competition what's helping you ride faster. So um, a lot of that is is never going to be published. um, And and what we need to do is encourage research uh, in this area that that is open and and available to the public and to other scientists so that we can move the the field forward.
0: And as you say, they are available, ketone esters and keto salts. They tend to be quite expensive and um, also do taste rather disgusting. But if you can tolerate it, would you say three tablespoons um, of uh, a C eight oil would be a, a you know a good place to provide your brain with ketones? I think C
1: yes, definitely. Um, and I wouldn't take it in a tablespoon. Uh, you, uh, I think you said you did, but um, I mean you can mix it. You can emulsify it, mm-hmm. which uh, I think has two important effects. Well, maybe three. It, it, it should improve the taste if you put it into a, a some kind of drink that that you you like. Um, It might not be orange juice, which has has lots of of glucose in it, but it could be a milk-based drink or it could be an emulsion that you can concoct. Mm -hmm. Um, So it should improve the taste. Um, Emulsification will improve the absorption. So we know that that will improve the ketogenic effect because you get more uh, MCT that actually gets into the body and into the liver to make those ketones. Mm -hmm. And by the same effect, it reduces what goes down the gut, and therefore intends to increase gut motility and increase the risk of diarrhea. So it, there's, it's definitely an advantage to take it in an emulsified form, in a, in a drink or in a yogurt, um, or, or in some kind of um, form that makes it more palatable and better better
0: absorbed. And this brain gap is it largely a function of insulin resistance? in other words a messing up of the insulin signaling into the brain cells
1: that's uh tough to answer patrick i can't give you a, a, a definitive answer i don't think we know um the the two the one important point to make is that um glucose is pulled into the brain which means that it's the brain cells that are active that are deciding how much glucose they need and they then tell the, the sort of the biochemistry of the brain to give us more glucose and the transporters that uh, are activated the doorway from the blood vessels in the brain to the brain cells, the glucose transporter is there and it, they will open up and, and draw glucose in in relation to, this, to the utilization of glucose. So it's driven by the brain's activity. That it's completely the opposite with ketones. Uh, ketones are pushed into the brain. We call it push and pull. So glucose is pulled into the brain by in relation to brain cell uh, needs for energy and and the, the energy currency called ATP. But ketones are pushed into the brain. So as soon as they're present in the blood, they are um, found in the brain and they're used by the brain. And it's it's a, called a, a straight line, direct relationship. Um, so. Why is, glu- why is the glucose gap there? Uh, there's something going wrong, obviously, with glucose utilization in the brain. Uh, are the cells uh, somehow not working very well and they're not able to sort of send the signal, we need more glucose. And so they, they're not getting more glucose. You can bombard the brain with glucose. You can eat ice cream all day and it's not going to increase the way uh, the brain uses glucose. In fact, it's going to cause problems, as you can imagine, with insulin resistance. We don't know if insulin resistance is driving the problem um, at the start of Alzheimer's disease. It's part of the problem, but I don't think anyone has any good tools to measure insulin resistance in the brain in humans to assess, uh, you know, to what extent that problem is present. And if you correct, you can correct type 2 diabetes in people by going on a low-carb. Diet, and so you can eliminate the insulin resistance that's measurable in blood. Is that the same degree of insulin resistance uh, as in the brain? Is the brain's insulin resistance actually changing when you correct type 2 diabetes in people? Uh, One of the leading experts on this is is in the UK. I think he's in London, David Unwin, who um, I'm sure you know, uh, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Um, He's one of the first people to have shown that you can correct type 2 diabetes. But he may know whether you can actually change uh, insulin resistance in the brain, but I I don't know if that's possible. So I'm not sure how to change the brain's problem metabolizing glucose. Uh, We thought exercise would help. It doesn't really change it. In someone who's got a problem, a brain energy gap, a brain glucose gap, um, exercise doesn't seem to change that, but it does change the way the brain uses ketones. So at least we have, as you say, a hybrid car which is actually an analogy I've been making for some time, and I didn't realize that you've written a book about it, Patrick. Congratulations. I, I've, got to,
0: I've got to go get that. But um, I'll uh, send, it is a hybrid I'll car. Send, Pardon? I'll send you a copy. The hybrid dog.
1: Oh, that's so kind. Uh, but it is a hybrid car, and so you can bypass the problems with the petrol system and the petrol engine by using the electrical system, the battery, and the electric motor. And, and that's the beauty uh, of, of the way the brain is, is set up in, in our evolution.
0: Now, moving to sort of in a middle age, I'm 65, 40, 50, 65, not not having a brain gap as such, not having insulin resistance as such, Um, in order to uh, really start to produce more energy from ketones as opposed to, to glucose, in that sort of healthier situation, is it essential to therefore reduce carbohydrates, not just increase for example, C eight.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, I think you need you need to take more than one approach. Um, there's no magic in MCT. They can they can go so far, but um, the, I don't know whether they. I don't think they're going to. Con- they're not going to improve insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mentioned sort of you started out your point by mentioning at 40 50 years old but probably not uh, no i think you, you the intention was to say that there's there's probably no brain energy gap or no brain glucose gap at that I stage but that. I, i'd like to actually correct that 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 impression if that's if that may perhaps that's not what you said but that's i think what what i heard and and I, what's really important is that we can we see a problem with the brain energy gap in 20 year olds Mm -hmm. and it it may even be lower than that, uh, who have insulin resistance. So the brain energy gap for glucose is not a function of age. It's more common in older people because older people have more a tendency to, to have poor control of glucose and a creeping form of insulin resistance, but it can start much younger. If you've got Type 2 diabetes, as as a young adult, which is not at all rare, as as I'm sure you know, um, our evidence in a small study suggests that you've already got a brain energy gap with glucose specifically. So this problem is an insulin resistance-dependent problem. It's not an age uh, phenomenon specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it is correctable. It's entirely correctable uh, by reducing carbohydrates. Um, would it be better to have MCT at the same time? It would certainly help because correcting, um, type two diabetes is not something that will happen overnight. It's not like taking an antibiotic for a, for a serious infection. It's probably, if it took 10 years to become type two diabetic, it's probably going to take 10 years to get back to normal. So you could accelerate the process and reduce the brain energy gap by taking MCT, even if you're 30 years old and have, um, Uh, have type 2 diabetes but it's the MCT are not going to correct your type 2 diabetes so the reduction of carbohydrate is still an essential component Um, if you don't have type 2 diabetes you can still use a lower carb intake and MCT preventively it's going to make the brain stronger Uh, so it's a win-win situation prevention or, or primary prevention or secondary prevention uh both will take require the same path, produce more ketones and and reduce insulin resistance.
0: Now I know this is not your specific um, area of research, but there's more and more research coming out on other neurological and mental health conditions. I'm thinking Parkinson's, epilepsy, schizophrenia, even depression. Some using low carb, high fat ketogenic diets i'm not sure how many have actually explored for example mcts and i'm not sure if there are any that have done both together but what's you know what are you what are you seeing in terms of the application of a more ketogenic approach in relation to other mental health issues and neurodegenerative issues
1: well, the, the the work in Alzheimer's disease has has kind of led the way. Uh, apart from, I mean, as as a neurodegenerative problem, ap- epilepsy is actually where it all started, as you probably know, with the ketogenic diet. But um, in in the sort of past twenty years, uh, it's it's in Alzheimer's disease that this work started, and it's because the brain energy gap with glucose was was best defined, was most clearly, I should say, defined in Alzheimer's disease. Um, So it's well ahead of what's being done in other neurodegenerative disorders. Uh, Having said that, there's a a study from 2005, I think, in a small, very small cohort of five or six people. It was published uh, with a ketogenic diet in Parkinson's disease with some benefit for the the neuromotor problems. Uh, That was essentially forgotten about um, and was again, uh, repeated uh, around 2018 in New Zealand with Matthew Phillips, 2018 or 19, something like that. Uh, we've picked up on that and, and our, our a certain degree of success with our work with uh, the beginning of Alzheimer's disease and moderately advanced Alzheimer's to combine it with exercise. As I mentioned um, a, a moment ago, exercise does improve ketone uptake. So we said, well, to get a bigger bang for the buck maybe we should use combine exercise with a ketogenic supplement uh, and we're using a ketogenic salt because it's more ketogenic than than MCT uh, we're expecting to uh, analyze the first results uh, of three three patients <laughs> before the end of the summer um, and by this fall we should have six or seven that will have completed uh, and we'll see um, so it, it's 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 only starting that work. Um, Other people are starting to get interested as well. Uh, Again, a placebo is going to be critical and there hasn't been one available. So uh, it's, it's starting Patrick um, and um, it's growing. It takes funding. It takes the right supplements. It takes people with uh, researchers that, that have an interest. um, And and all of that is, is is moving forward. 10 years ago, I think it would have been practically unthinkable. Um, So, uh, I'm impressed with the progress that's occurring, but it, it it never seems to occur fast enough.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of, uh, I'm sure you know Albert Danane. Is it Danane? Um, or Danian? Uh, Danan? Dan- Dan- yeah. I think from in Toulouse. Yeah, yeah. And he's been reporting very good results. I think not placebo-controlled trials, but trials with uh, people with uh, depression and schizophrenia and bipolar.
1: Yes, I, I didn't address that point, but uh, yes, uh, I think his is, is a critical observation. And uh, so it's not a defined study. It's not a controlled study. But he said, look, I've got a psychiatric ward uh, and I'm not sure how he got the impression that the ketogenic diet could be beneficial, but he was able to reduce carbohydrate intake uh, in a significant number of them. Some were more adherent to the protocol than others and those that, that were Uh, most adherent, uh, reduced their carbs the most, had the the best effect. I think there were 30 some people. So that's where it starts. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there are other, uh, there's uh, an interest in what's called metabolic psychiatry, which is applying the idea of improving metabolic regulation, improving your glucose metabolism, and trying to uh, basically improve mental health by metabolic health. It's an area that um, is crying out for uh, uh better treatments because uh tragically many of the antipsychotic drugs actually cause a deterioration in metabolic health so you fall into this metabolic this this vicious cycle I should say whereby you need to take what's available but that's actually in the long term is is not helping your prognosis Um and so uh, this is an area that, that really needs support. And we're uh, very interested to work with an emerging network of, of clinics. There are uh, about a dozen uh, metabolic psychiatry clinics around the world now in the UK, uh, continental Europe, US, Australia, uh, and one in Toronto and Canada, uh, and perhaps do some of the imaging work that we do. Uh, Sherbrooke is a small city, so setting up a clinic like that is not going to be easy here in Sherbrooke. But uh, we need to, to use those tools to see what is, the, what is the metabolic status of the brain in someone who's got severe depression or uh, first episode psychosis. What's happening to glucose? We don't know. Uh, so we don't know if there is a, truly a glucose gap. Um, and we don't know whether the brain can use ketones in that situation. It looks like ketones are, are beneficial from Albert Dallin's work and from some other uh, anecdotal reports Chris Palmer, for instance, at Harvard has p- published two case reports showing that, that schizophrenics uh, benefited enormously from a ketogenic diet. And they, they were taking the diet to lose weight um, and, had, and both said, you know what, uh, life is so much better now. And uh, so it was one of these um, serendipitous type of observations, in fact. So we need to give this a more rigorous background uh, and basis from, from which to to do more rigorous studies, and, and hopefully we can make progress in this field too.
0: Yeah, I'm just reading uh, Chris Palmer's uh, excellent book, Brain Energy, uh, at the moment, uh, which explores this. A couple yeah. of uh, questions in and around this. Uh, I've also heard um, a conversation about ketones and how they could help to possibly reduce anxiety by promoting GABA, Um, while a high-sugar diet, it appears, may actually promote um, uh, uh, glutamates that actually have the opposite effect and increase anxiety. So just going a little bit closer up on ketones and GABA, can you say anything about that?
1: It's an area that I'm hoping to start a project in uh, with some colleagues in Denmark, actually, uh, who have facilities that would allow us to study brain GABA and brain ketones simultaneously. So that takes some very specialized imaging equipment, to, and they're equipped, and we've talked about it, and we're starting to set up the protocol to get approval to do that sort of study. So I, it's on my radar. Uh, it's It's been thought about and talked about for 20 or maybe, maybe 30 years uh, as part of the the, the reason that a ketogenic diet is beneficial for in epilepsy because GABA is it's called uh, an inhibitory neurotransmitter, which means it helps calm down or to overexcitable uh, brain cells. Uh, and, and the overexcitement is usually caused by glutamate, which is, is a, an excitatory neurotransmitter. So as you say, does the same thing apply in anxiety? Um, we're wondering whether it applies in Alzheimer's as well ketones do not the carbon from a ketone molecule ketones have four carbons and and they can be used to make brain energy they can't be used to make GABA um, so if GABA goes up it it must be by some indirect mechanism um, and you can't flood the brain with glucose and glucose carbon can be used to make GABA but it seems like uh, that process isn't working because the GABA level seems to be a bit, a bit lower than they should be, at least in epilepsy and possibly in anxiety and other conditions. So if you provide the ketones to the brain, does that in fact liberate some of the glucose that's, that is going into the brain? Because even on a ketogenic diet, there's still glucose getting into the brain. It, um, and it, even in severe Alzheimer's disease, when the glucose uptake is, is seriously uh, in, blocked, it's still about, about 50% of what should be getting in is getting in. So it's not like there's no glucose available and maybe ketones allow some of the glucose that would be going to make fuel to go to do other things like making GABA. Uh, So that needs exploring. I think um, even if we don't know whether it works through GABA, if we can show uh, convincingly that ketones or ketogenic diet is beneficial for the treatment of anxiety, that's a big step forward in the personal lives of, of, of millions of people.
0: Yeah, for those who don't know, GABA is both an amino acid and a neurotransmitter, uh, which has the effect of sort of cutting the adrenaline switch. So a lot of valiums, libriums, benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines as well, they're, they're all working on that GABA pathway. And one thing that uh, always intrigued me very much working in the area of addiction and, and brain chemistry and nutrition, is that it is said that GABA doesn't cross into the, uh, the blood-brain barrier. However, if you supplement um, a gram, a thousand milligram of GABA, it has an immediate, uh, you know, very, very calming effect. So it's doing something. Uh, GABA is one is one of those uh, nutrients in my toolkit that I've found very, very useful for people with certain.
1: Um, well I think GABA is metabolized and perhaps even produced in the gut as well and perhaps it, there's a connection through the vagus nerve or through perhaps some hormones um, so it, it may not be getting into the brain i I, I don't know and and that's something we could you should be able to test with uh, with with imaging techniques but uh, I'm not sure I haven't I haven't uh, given it enough thought but there could be some indirect effects it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to get into the brain because uh, I mean, a thousand milligrams sounds like a fair amount. Quite a quite a whack, actually.
0: <laughs> the other the other nutrient I don't know if you've uh, come around the edges of is is chromium, the mineral chromium.
1: Um, is that? Well, I know uh, that chromium ha- has is reportedly involved in in improving glucose tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only connection, and, and maybe pancreatic function. I'm not sure. I don't have much experience with it, but I, I I seem I draw a link there. I think I
0: hope that's correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean the reason why I even mentioned it was talking about you know do we really know how how to reverse insulin resistance improve that glucose supply in the brain later on and and uh, chromium supplementation at, you know quite a high dose usually six hundred microgram is probably ten times more than we need normally uh, does seem to do all the right things that is lowering HbA1c the glycosylated hemoglobin um, seemingly improving insulin resistance but we don't know in the brain and I'll tell you a story that you might like but it it came from uh, a a professor of psychoanalysis at Chapel Hill in uh, is that North or South Carolina and he, he had a patient that he'd been psychoanalyzing for years who was depressed and um, one day the patient said to him i've taken these pills from the health food shop and i'm better and uh the the uh the professor of psychoanalysis there are four i think there were four different ingredients in the pill so he he kind of placeboed the thing he, he gave his patient a different envelope um every week and said take these and it turned out it was the chromium so what he then did was to design a um, a placebo controlled randomized trial uh, giving chromium or placebo and this was very specifically to patients with what's kind of what's called atypical depression And atypical depression seems to affect younger people who sleep a lot feel groggy a lot you know crave carbohydrates and 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 certain attributes which actually it seems to be the Predominant number of people with depression have atypical depression these days, and it was incredibly effective. Uh, I mean, about, I think sixty percent of people in the study had complete remission from their depression. And the interesting thing was that the effect of chromium was—I mean, literally within three or four days—it's a very, very quick effect. So there was something going on with chromium, insulin resistance, serotonin, and mood, uh, which I've never quite found anyone you know, to fully unravel. Uh, I just thought I would mention that.
1: Well, that sounds interesting. Uh, Maybe we can follow up offline uh, as the source of that information. I'd uh, be interested to read up on it.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly send you the papers. So here we are coming towards the end of our podcast. And I always like to ask eminent scientists like you who are very much involved in this, what you do for yourself. Because here you are, You've got the research, you know, the areas uh, that may not be proven yet, but are certainly looking positive. Do you eat meat? Do you eat fish? Do you eat, you know, do you control your carbohydrates? Do you have MCT oils yourself? Maybe omega-3, something we haven't mentioned. We certainly could have spoken about. What's your what's your strategy for optimizing your own brain health? Well, I'm
1: I'm moderately proactive about about my diet. Uh, I'm not fanatical about uh, about it. So I, I do eat carbohydrate. I I don't know what percentage of my energy intake is carbohydrate, but it, it, it's relatively low in the easily absorbed carbs. And I think one thing um, we should mention is that, like with fats, all carbs are not the same. Um, a bowl of oats, uh, rolled oats, is is not the same as the same weight of white bread, for instance. So. It's important for people to understand that some carbohydrates are absorbed slowly, and, and there's nothing wrong with whole grains, even though they're essentially, well, not totally carbohydrate, but carbohydrate-rich. It's the question. Uh, the question is how fast are they absorbed, um, and and th- and that's what's going to influence uh, ins- insulin. So I, I'm fairly fairly prudent with with um, with sweet with sweet foods and with desserts. Um, my insulin is is okay my blood pressure is okay i'm i'm moderately active uh, as a in terms of sports um a bit of tennis and, and golf and and cycling and, and cross country skiing but not not in a regimented way so i've lost weight uh, uh from from my 20s and, and i'm i'm now uh, 70 uh gradually not intentionally but i i haven't gained weight um as i've gotten older and so um, I think the main uh, measures of, of my metabolic health all suggest that it's it's pretty good. Uh, I was actually involved in one of my own projects with continuous glucose monitoring, so I was able to see on my on my typical diet, uh, my glucose's were kicking around um, 5.8 to or so at, at baseline. So uh, that's that's excellent. And um, I haven't done anything really dramatic. I do eat fish and meat. Um, not a lot, but, but I do. And so, um, I, I guess I've got my bases covered. I like a little bit of, um, brewer's yeast in my salad too, which helps uh, perhaps, uh, cover for, uh, um, perhaps a suboptimal fruit intake. Uh, I'm a, I'm just not much of a food intake eater and I'm probably, um, not quite as much veggies as I should either. Uh, so I try to patch it over with a little bit of brewer's yeast uh, now and again, but, uh, so far, so good. I mean, you know, who knows what, what I might get struck by ne- tomorrow or <laughs> next week, but so far it seems to be okay.
0: Do you take any MCT oils, any CA? Oh, sorry.
1: Or- yeah. No. I, I, I don't take MCTs per se. I, I get a, a sort of a very transient, rapid headache uh, from it, but I do uh, consume probably 750 grams of, of coconut oil per, per month, uh, mm-hmm. roughly a jar. Uh, of coconut oil Um, so it's it's relatively solid it's like a butter and I'll put it on 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 a sort of a whole bread toast a nice uh, rustic um, type of uh, artisan bread um, uh, for as a kind of a butter and that that's basically what I use so and I'm not afraid of butter either by the way so it's (laughs) uh, but I do consume some coconut oil and, and not much MCT
0: and uh, what about omega three? Do you supplement omega three? I'd be interested to know. No,
1: not specifically, but uh, a moderate a moderate amount of fish uh, intake. Mm. Um, the, my my the lab the lab was all, used to always complain if I wanted to be in, involved in a project because they said you're always an outlier. Your fasting ketones are always higher. <laughs> Your mm-hmm. fasting omega threes are always higher than the the other people in the study. So we don't want you involved. <laughs> So I don't know exactly what explains that, but um, I, I guess the main uh, markers are uh, are fairly positive in my case.
0: Uh, thank you very much. Uh, both for your excellent I mean many decades of research and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about all your new studies as they unfold. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners on this subject of ketones and the brain?
1: Well, Patrick, I think it's an important service that you're doing to them, for them to to invite people to come and talk about this. And I hope it informs them. Uh, sometimes people like me in, in our field say, you know, it's moving forward so slowly. Uh, and in some ways, the Internet allows us to bypass uh, the whole scientific community uh, where there's a certain amount of resistance and a certain amount of dogma you know, around Alzheimer's disease and how to treat it and, and how to treat depression and, and so on. And the idea that you can actually correct type 2 diabetes, it's going, it's still going to take the scientific community a long time to understand. So in the meantime, the public, I think, can, can take what it wants. Um, your listeners can take what they want from this podcast. And if they're willing to, to reduce their carbs a little bit, it's not going to cause any serious problems. Uh, it takes a bit of discipline to start. But but you can do it and you can drop your sugar from the coffee and from tea uh, and perhaps have one biscuit instead of two at tea and whatever. And slowly you find, you know what? I don't want it. I don't need as much marmalade on my toast. Uh, and and you will ad- adapt because we have an addiction to sugar uh, and it's it's pretty harmful uh, and it's a long term process. So uh, getting started uh, a little younger is going to help. You can do it.
0: Professor Stephen Cunane, thank you very much for sharing your time and sharing your wisdom with us. Um all the best. It's been you. a pleasure, Patrick. Thank you as well. Thanks.